0: And welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast, where we've dived deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone chilling anatomy. (laughs) Did we have a good Juneteenth? Hopefully, you celebrated with the trip to the theater for this week's movie. Last week, I spotlighted some of my favorite black queer characters, shows, and actors. In that episode, I also complained about the lack thereof characters specifically. However, I had a double feature last Wednesday night of The Blackening and a Tribeca screening called Perpetrator. What if I told you both of those can now be added to my list of queer black horror? If you didn't check it out, Make sure that you do at some point because it was a really good episode. I did do a little, a little something different. I inserted a clip here, a clip there of of the show I was talking about. I thought it was a fun little, a fun little addition that I never really do. So make sure you do check it out. And also make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates such as what to expect for every new episode. I can tell you that next week I will be reviewing Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge to round out Pride Month, but I want to assure you that the Pride Month movies, the queer horror doesn't stop at the end of June because in July we will still be talking about some queer movies that we all know and love so don't go anywhere just yet if you're a queer horror fan before we get into what we all came here for we have to we have to talk about it what are we streaming what are we reading and what are we watching I, well, I kind of already told you all, um, I went to the Tribeca Film Festival, I just saw one screening, I didn't get a pass of any sort, although I do kind of think I want to next year, because it was so cool just to be there, I'm going again, um, which at the time that you're listening to this, I will have already been, but, um, I have two screenings in total for the, you know, like, festival, so I already saw one, um, and then I'm also going to see the new age black exploitation movie called Cinnamon with Pam Greer. Um, but I'm really excited for that, too, because Pam Greer was like the face of black blaxploitation for, for a moment. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's going to be really good. Um, I saw Perpetrator on Wednesday night at the same time that I saw The Blackening. And that movie really surprised me. Now, it's distributed by Shudder, but it's produced and uh, it's produced by a company called What the Films, directed by Jennifer Reader. When it does get released on Shudder, I want to do a review on it. So I'm not going to talk too much about it. But uh, it was it's like marketed as a feminist horror noir movie. And um, it's think of it as Jennifer's body. Uh, except Jennifer is actually queer, uh, not just queer coded. And uh, she's turning 18. And when she turns 18, she unlocks her succubus powers of some sort, and uh, helps to solve, helps to solve a crime case. It, It was really good. There were things that I felt like could have been better if you were to look up the reviews it's pretty much all men just talking shit about the movie um and it's like obviously you don't get it but like I feel like the movie perfectly encapsulated the fears and anxieties that women girls and other film presenting people often do feel in the world that we live in so on that front I gave it a I gave it an a plus actually gave it a three and a half stars on letterboxd You can check that review out if you would like. Other than that, what else? Black Mirror came out. I watched the very first episode uh, the day that it came out because I was so excited. Oh my gosh, that episode, like, definitely threw me off track. I was, I don't know what I was expecting, but the path that it took was so... I think it was mostly insane to watch just because of everything we're currently experiencing. The writer strike and how people are really concerned about the future of like deep fakes and everything like that. I don't want to give anything away. So that's all I'm going to say on it. Um, I've never watched Black Mirror. The first time that I watched Black Mirror as it released was the last season up until the fifth season. I hadn't watched any of the seasons, like, um, in the time that they were being released, but it's crazy to just see how those episodes accurately reflect the current anxieties of our lives. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch more of Black Mirror. I'm a huge Black Mirror fan. I always have been. Other than that, I watched Vamps for the first time with Grace Jones, i'm still working on it too it's one of those things that like i'll turn on right before i go to sleep and then i'll get sleepy and i pause it and then i'll do the same thing the next night and the next night and the next night so i'm almost through it (laughs) i promise but it's pretty cool i like it um reading i put plain bad heroines down i stopped reading that i was so tired of like forcing myself to try to finish it i felt like it just wasn't productive and there was one point i was sitting on the train and i was trying to read it like just trying to focus in and i couldn't i was trying to glance over the words like unconsciously i was trying to glance over the words because i just did not want to give it any more like energy so that, that's when i decided to stop reading it and then i picked up clown in the cornfield um and it's actually pretty good no like i the first day i i read it i read it like on my commute to work and then back And I ended up reading like 100 pages that day. So I am excited uh, to read it because it's pretty good. And then I'm also picking up um, The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager. I'm planning to review that next month for my summer camp series. Um, But there also is something possibly in the works. So that might change. But either way... If I don't read it, you know, for an episode next month, I will read it at some point because I need I need to start reading, like, actual... I need to start reading different horror books. Like, I don't know. I feel like I've been in, like, this this hole of specific horror books. I've also been reading nonfiction lately, which is so unlike me. That's all I've been reading. That's all I've been watching. Summer has been pretty busy for me so far, so, like, that's really the only time... Like, that's the only thing I have time for. Um, But if you have read Plain Bad Heroines, if you've read Clown in a Cornfield, if you've read The Last Time I Lied and you want to tell me all about it without spoiling anything, definitely reach out to me. If you have never read those, but you've read another kind of summary horror book before and you think that it might be something I like, reach out to me, tell me all about it without spoiling anything. And if you're currently watching Black Mirror, if you're currently watching, um, if you've watched The Blackening, perfect, because you are prepared for this episode, um, and anything else that you're streaming right now, TV show-wise, movie-wise, I want to hear all about it on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. My DMs are open. You can always reach out to let me know, or you can, if you're listening on Spotify, Um, you can answer the Q&A that is below the episode and you can tell me what you thought about the episode um, or tell me about like the movies and stuff that you're watching or if you've watched any of the shows that I mentioned tell me what you think of them so far I really am interested to see what people think about Joan is Awful the first episode of Black Mirror season six so definitely let me know if you're listening on Spotify um, in that little comment section below So The Blackening, it's a movie that I had been so excited for ever since I saw the trailer because I mean, this is a black horror podcast. So it's kind of like I if I wasn't excited for it, then there was a problem with me. But the first second that I saw the trailer and the poster and like the tagline, you know, we can't all die first. I was like, oh, oh, this is going to be the movie the movie that I watch, the movie that I review, and the movie that I make my entire personality for the next two months. That last part might not be 100% true, but still, as I am preparing for this podcast episode, I'm, you know, doing the research into it to figure out, like, to learn more about it, the production behind it, and what I learned blew me away. Like, it actually kind of made me love it more, Uh, love the movie more than I did before. So, Dwayne Perkins, uh, which if you've seen the movie, you'll know Dwayne is a character in the movie. Dwayne Perkins began as a sketch writer slash performer in an improv group called 3P. It was during this time that he toyed with the idea of slasher horror movie tropes as they pertain to black characters. Particularly, if all of the characters are black, who really does die first then? this cheeky little idea which it's not like super cheeky like oh how fun because it's actually kind of like when you ask around and people are like no like we literally always die first and it's something that black people always talk about always joke about but at the same time it is it's like why can't we ever see a movie where we don't die first and the only time that we don't die first, that we don't die at all, is if we prove to be, like, to be useful in some way, while the white protagonist isn't at all. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, so this cheeky little idea eventually made its way onto the internet as a short titled The Blackening, which then caught the attention of Girls Trip writer Tracy Oliver and Shop director Tim Story. Over the next five years, Perkins worked alongside the two to co-write and star in the film as himself, which I absolutely love that. I love that they gave him the opportunity to still like claim stake in the story um, and be able to show up as his authentic self in the role that he played, which is not even really a role like it's him. It, it makes me want to rewatch the movie knowing this and, like, watch it through that lens. And this choice, which, I mean, choice might not be the best word to use, but, like, just allowing Perkins to be a part of the production, not only in writing but performing, allows that particular character to be the most authentic when it comes to his intersectionality of queerness and blackness. The film was announced in January of 2020, and then filming took place in late 2021. And a little fun fact is that while this did come from a short, much of the film's dialogue was improvised by the cast, which I don't know. Well, you know what? I'll save that for later. Um... (laughs) So, The Blackening premiered at the 2022 Toronto International Film Festival on September 16th of 2022. And shortly afterwards, Lionsgate acquired the distribution rights. Overall, this movie has gotten very good feedback from critics and audiences. 84% of the 82 critics' reviews are positive with an average rating of 7 out of 10 i really i got that from wikipedia so and, th- and i don't know when this was last updated so don't quote me on that but most people really like the dialogue they feel like the dialogue is really good and authentic which makes sense so while most people really love this you know this horror parody especially after we've seen um you know like jordan peele's get out and nia da Um, Candyman, it's like, I personally feel like this is what Scary Movie should have been. Yeah, Scary Movie was funny for the time, but it also was still racially insensitive. And it was made by the Waynes Brothers. So it's like, I, and that humor, I'm like, I really do question, was that, who was that humor targeted to? Because some of the humor was rooted in racial stereotypes. At least, the first one maybe not so much because the first one they truly made But then following that, they just, like, their hands weren't on it as much. So, when I first saw this trailer, I, like I said before, I knew it was going to be a movie that I watched the opening night. The tagline, we can't all die first, hinted that it was going to play with horror tropes, but, like, horror tropes in general, but racial ones as well. White Hollywood has built up the idea that they see black characters in horror as expendable since the trope, the black guy always dies first, proves to be right every single time. There never seems to be a system as to what makes the black character expendable, but I feel like this movie rebuts that and reclaims that trope and many others that we've seen. I also, I mean like, I graduated college in 2021, but like I do wish this movie came out when I was in college so that I could have watched it with my with my like campuses BSU because I just know all of the black student unions in America are going to eat this movie up. They're going to be having watch parties. They're going to be having game nights based off of this movie. And like I'm ex- like I am excited for them. I wish I had that experience, but I'm glad that they have that experience. When I post stuff on TikTok discussing black horror, um, I usually get at least one comment that says, Why bring race into it? (laughs) Uh, I never really entertain them on that platform. Uh, I usually say something along the lines of like, this is a black horror podcast, like maybe you should listen to it and then you'll answer your own question. I said that recently to someone and I still have not heard back from them so I feel like that was a good response Uh, but I will entertain it all right here right now. Race is always going to be involved as long as white supremacy exists. I'm sure I don't have to explain this to y'all because I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you know this already, but in the case that you don't, I'll just reiterate it. Black history in cinema has never truly been our history because it was always produced by white people. The early appearances of black characters weren't even black people, but white people with blackface painted on. All of the black tropes that have been established are by white people. It's like, imagine, imagine simply existing right and someone someone takes you as a person and portrays you on stage on screen based off of the way that they perceive you but it's a terrible perception of you and a very exaggerated racially motivated like kind of perception of you like and then they, they, they do that in front of, what, 10,000 people? And now 10,000 people will see you that exact same way, and you have no control over that. The nonfiction book, The Black Guy Dies First, has helped me to further understand this and more about the history of black cinema. The book discusses how visual media has the most powerful influence on, on mass audiences' perception of the world around them. With most of the recognizable black tropes, white people reinforce them to white audiences. This movie is going to be so important in these types of conversations in the future because if there if there is one word that I can describe this movie, I, w- I don't even know if this is a word, but like re- reclamation, <laughs> reclaim, reclaiming, like that's what I feel is that Everything that we've ever seen about black people in cinema um, up until like 2018, most of it was was written or signed off by white people. And nobody is going to know black people like black people do for that accurate representation. um, It, it only makes sense for if a white if a white person don't write the story or if a black person don't write the story at least a black person needs to needs to look at it for a quality assurance check before it gets published before it gets put on the screen um so i i thought that i would use a little bit of my knowledge from the book the black guy dies first um to talk about this movie a little bit this part specifically is I I made spoiler free so that y'all can so that y'all can listen in in case you haven't watched it yet. Um, but I, I'll let you know when you need to click off if you haven't seen it. The black guy dies first addresses several different uh, racially charged tropes and stereotypes in horror, and so I picked I picked those that felt the most um the most applicable to the blackening and um so the first one that I want to talk about is the spook which I personally don't like that word I feel like that is a derogatory word already the classic spook though was very animated with their fear and was literally scared of everything they they would use phrases like feet don't fail me now Fast forward to now, modern spooks prefer to say, nah, F that, I ain't going in there. And, I mean, that, like, that right there, most of us are not going to go somewhere that is suspicious looking because we're superstitious. And, I mean, why are you going into a dark basement when the door just opened automatically? I feel like any sane person would not do that. So, in the movie, um... I feel like Namdi had some spook moments throughout the film, but each character takes on this characteristic at some point. And that's a pattern that you'll see with all of these tropes that I feel were addressed in the movie. Um because it's because now that you have a movie with all black people and not just one black person amongst non black people, it's like those are characteristics that you all share it's not just one type of person and it's not a a cat a categorization of any sort um you know they can be spread evenly or they can be more in one person than the other one person can take on more one trope than the other like i don't know i just which i'll talk about it in a little bit um because it, it goes a little bit deeper but like i feel like this movie if it had to be reiterated, I feel like it reiterates that pla- that that black people are not a monolith. You see all kinds of different um, different representations within the black community in this movie. But let me hold my let, let me hold my horses. The next trope is the sacrificial Negro. Uh, that is exactly as it sounds. It happens mostly when a white character is in danger. The black character can be the main character or just a side character. Either way, they will always have a death wish. Once again, each character takes on this trope out of love for each other. Like, they all want to sacrifice themselves because they want to save their friends. And, like, like, whenever they're playing the game and... They, you know, are like, oh, well, who's the most black or like, who knows this or whatever? Like, they really do struggle, obviously, like, you're gonna struggle trying to pick a friend to die. Like, if you are easily able to point a finger at somebody, you're homicidal and that's on you. This does happen specifically with Dwayne uh, because he tells Namdi and Lisa to go on without him when they're trying to escape the slasher they do and then Dwayne says I didn't actually mean it which is real like I mean it's something you say but like you would never think that they would actually leave you hello the gangsta is another trope this stems from the older trope which is the brute uh, it depicts black people particularly black men as dangerous the gangsta of a horror movie always holds their gun sideways mistreats women and only talks in profanities King in the Blackening is positioned to be the gangster of the film. Uh and you kinda get this idea when Namdi brings up his criminal past. King says he's done with the law and he doesn't carry guns anymore and he's married to a white woman. I yeah. Um however, he does have a gun. He doesn't hold it sideways though. Namdi holds it sideways. <laughs> The authority figure is another trope uh, that was created to provide quote-unquote positive representation However, no matter how respectable their role is their character is always one-dimensional But with anger issues and I think that this could easily be Lisa as she's a lawyer and she really unleashes her wrath in this movie That's all I will say. The voice of reason is um think of like I don't remember his name, but think of the like airport security guy from Get Out and he was always like, You just shouldn't go there. You shouldn't go there, man. Like, don't do it. Yeah. This applies to the one black character that's always casted in the horror movie, except for except for Get Out. Like Um, that's obviously that's not a part of this conversation. Because of the general superstition amongst black people we're not, oh, because of the general superstition amongst black people, we are not going somewhere or following something that's suspicious. Think of Jordan Peele's nope. Like, when they see something that seems a little bit off, they're not following it, they're not trying, they're not getting curious, like, no. The curiosity, the, wait, curiosity killed the cat. The cat is killing the curiosity in this certain moment. The entire cast takes on this trope as well because of that shared characteristic. This trope is, a, is fun to talk about because it's deemed the sidekick, but it's better known as the black woman always saves everyone. Think of Kelly Rowland in Freddy vs. Jason or Brandy in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. This is another one of those race-specific tropes that usually involve a white protagonist and a black best friend. However, the blackening doesn't follow this. Still, Lisa is put in the position of saving everyone, or so she thinks. While the black women of the film do serve savior, I do think that these moments were a bit more balanced than we've seen in the past. And the last trope, that I wanna take the time to discuss is cops as villains. This trope has always played a role in black thrillers and films all the way back to the days of Blackula. Black people have always held a distrust for law enforcement, no explanation needed. We already know this and we know why. With a slasher film following a white cast, the cop eight times out of 10 will be a savior if not the savior. And don't get me wrong, I love Dewey and Scream, okay? I, I, I will admit it. I love Dewey and Scream, but would I trust him if I was a resident of Woodsboro? When we're introduced to the forest ranger in the blackening, his name is B. White, <laughs> we're automatically sensing his potential threat to the friend's weekend and so those are all the tropes that I thought were like interesting I I haven't I mean like I know that I've mentioned this book a few times just in terms of of like me reading it and what I think about it but I think this is the first time that I've really kind of used it to talk about a movie so I I hope that um that gave you something to chew on and I also you know like if you liked those little tropes and snippets of the book I hope that that maybe intrigued you to get the book and try it out because it is a really good book I think there are times where certain like certain concepts are just further reiterated when there doesn't need to be any reiteration it's like you get to a certain point where it's like okay this is nothing new we've already talked about this However, like, all in all, it is a very informational book. I enjoy it, and I recommend it to anybody I talk to who expresses an interest in black horror. So, if you're interested, make sure you check it out. But that marks the end of the spoiler-free moment. Um, You know the drill, y'all? If you haven't seen this movie yet, if you don't want it to be spoiled, now would be your time to click off. Go get a ticket, go watch the movie, have a great time, I'll keep your seat warm, make sure you come back with a snack, and we'll just resume where we were at, you know, like like nothing even happened. I will miss you while you're gone, though. And if you've already seen this movie, or you don't care about it being spoiled, I'm so glad to have you. Uh, make sure you get comfy, because we're about to dive into it. The cops as villains, that trope is something that we've seen constantly. And because, like, the way that tropes work, tropes are something that set up our expectation. When we see a familiar trope in a movie, we know exactly how it's going to play out. But that's also how movies can uh, subvert our expectations. And that's exactly what happens in this movie with the cop. We're used to seeing the cop as the villain. when we first meet officer b white he's racially profiling king upon his arrival to the cabin when we meet him again he says he's responding to the screams he heard namdi dewayne and lisa show their suspicion and he says i'm one of the good ones they say that makes you even more suspicious they drop their quote-unquote weapons that they're fending off the killer with And B. White goes on this whole spiel about how he wouldn't accept a cookout invitation, you know, those, like, metaphorical cookout invitations to white people that that black people often give when they feel like they're the right kind of white. Uh, right. Okay. Because he recognizes that he would be a disruption to their safe space. This obviously makes them drop their guard because... I mean, he kind of sounds educated. Like, if I was in their position, I'd be like, oh, wow, okay. So, like, you really sat down and thought about this. They get in his car to leave. But then he says, I'll be right back to check out a noise in the woods. If you have seen Scream, you know this is Randy's number one rule. Never say, I'll be right back. While he's gone, the group finds the killer's mask in his car. He turns out to not be the killer, though, and gets killed instead, which throws us off as the audience because, yeah, we're used to seeing the cops as the villain. It was no surprise that the co- that the mask from the killer was in the cop's car. Like, it was like, oh, no, that makes sense. It's also something that i particularly was expecting is like when i first met him i was like oh he's gonna cause a problem and then when he showed back up trying to save them i was like oh it's so convenient that he's trying to save them it's also so convenient that he left them in his car because now he's gonna come back as the killer like you know he's not the only white person that we do see in this film When Shanika stops at the gas station, uh, the owner, just like the clerk who's working there is this really tall, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre looking kind of white dude. And, uh, he's a little scary. And so when you meet him, when you meet the police officer, the movie starts to play the suspenseful music and sounds to create villains out of these unexpected people, which I mean, well, unexpected for some audience members. But it's like they make them into these menacing people when in other movies they might not necessarily come across that way. The movie also subverts expectations by taking classic white tropes and kind of like making them black. So when a door opens mysteriously in a classic slasher... The white protagonist is too quick to open it and look outside. And, of course, like, you're in the audience like, why are you doing that? Like, just close the door. Obviously, there is nothing outside that is, like, that is for you, you know? But when Dwayne finds himself in this same predicament, he treats the door like it is diseased, and he closes it with his foot before locking it, which is the right way to do it. I mean, and, you know, I'm kind of like, would I even close it? Because I'm always afraid. This happened to me one time, actually. The, the door, like, it was it was one of the houses that me and my family lived in and they, we had, like, a back door to our deck and we're all sitting in the living room Well, me and my two brothers and I think maybe my sister and we were sitting in the living room just, like, hanging out. They were playing video games. I was on the computer. And then all of a sudden, the door to the back porch opens just out of nowhere and we all look at each other and we like run upstairs into our parents room and we knock on the door and they're like what obviously like they're sleeping and we're like the door just opened by itself we're all scared like we don't want to touch it and they're like just shut it and we're like but what what if something what if something grabs us like obviously what if something grabs us and so then my brothers make me go down and close it myself and i was so afraid that there was going to be a hand That just stuck out and grabbed my hand as I was trying to close the door. Um, Which, that just tells you that I watched too many horror movies. But, yeah. Dwayne was smart in that that situation. And I would have done the same thing. At the end of the second act, they're contemplating their next steps and how to get away from the killers. Allison speaks up and prefaces her idea by saying that she knows it's not ideal, but it may be the smartest decision. She gags a little bit before she says, "But well, no, like, I, hold on, because I need to recreate this. Because this was actually really, really funny." She was like, "We should, we should split up," and everyone groans. And I was like, "That that was funny because yeah, you shouldn't have said that, but also I do understand what you mean. Like I understand why you think we should split up." Um, another way that they subvert the expectations a bit. The black queer character is perceived to be the most likely to die first because of his intersectionality. However, his queerness results in him being the most protected and actually saving the day too. That's another thing. Like, I really didn't expect Dwayne to be the one to save everybody and to last as long as he did just because of the way that black black queer characters have been treated in the past in horror. So it was, like, it was really nice for, one, the black woman to not be the one to save everybody, but instead it was the black queer character. And, like, that's another way that they also kind of subverted your expectation is Lisa addresses that sidekick, whole, like, black woman always saves everyone trope whenever she's, like, bashing that guy's head in with a candlestick. And you're, like, yeah, no, you're so right. Why is this happening? This always happens. And you think that they're safe, you think, like, the movie is ending, and you think, like, they're finally safe, but then the plot twist is introduced, and the black queer character ends up saving the day with the help of Shanika. And oh, how I wish I could have seen this movie before recording last week's episode. Like, I am so upset, because I would have loved to talk about this on last week's episode! Ugh, such an unfortunate event. And you know what, I actually, I don't think there was a way that I could have watched it before I recorded last week's episode, but I could have gone to the premiere of The Blackening, but I just didn't know that it was happening. And that's what happens when you have too much, too many things going on at once. You know, uh, my brain felt me. I, I had a lot of likes for this movie and a few dislikes. I rated it a three and a half stars out of five on Letterboxd. I could have rated it higher, but I just, I didn't feel like it was a complete four stars or a complete five stars even. But like, there are things commendable about it that I want to recognize. Like I said before, um, the movie, between the characters themselves and the blackening game that they play, even though they're forced to play it, the movie effectively supports the fact that black people are not a monolith. And so you see different ways that black people can show up in this world. Um, you have a biracial black woman whose dad is white, mom is black. You have an African man. You have a conservative man, which is a little... Okay. <laughs> you have you have a... Um, a queer black character and then you have your like your two women and so it was just it was nice to to not see kind of like a copy and paste like we have seen before because yeah like black people literally show up every which way and I for so long I think like especially with the stereotypes reinforced with the visual media like people expect us to be one type of person. They expect us to like one certain type of music, expect us to like one certain type of food, dress one certain type of way, and talk a certain way. And it's it's really weird whenever you meet someone like that, and they're like, oh, you're not at all what I expected you to be. And it's like, what do you mean? What did you expect me to be? And even like with the humor, it never felt like we were being laughed at like the black characters were being laughed at you were laughing with them um and if anything like the roles were reversed like it wasn't black people who were the butt of the jokes but white people who were the butt of who were the butt of the jokes and um it you know that was a nice switch up too the humor was adaptable to any audience but it does vie for black audiences. You know, you have some jokes that are heavily coded, uh, black coded specifically, and then you have jokes that, you know, like most audiences will understand and laugh at and find funny. The dialogue is so smart. It Like, uh, there were some parts that were, you know, a little corny, but there were also some lines that really stuck out to me, and I, you know, I don't know how much they stuck out to other people watching but I heard them and I immediately wrote them down because I was like oh oh this is good this is good as gold um so who who said this oh yeah so this line um was actually spoken by Allison and she said this game has rules and whatever they are they've stuck by them and when I first heard it and considered it I thought that it represented white supremacy as a whole because, yeah, like, white supremacy is made up of these, of these, like, of these rules that are built against black and brown and other people of color. However, it is also representative of the treatment of black characters in horror as there is no rubric to why the black characters always die first. We don't know. We never know. The 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 Black Guy Dies First book that I have been reading and quoting in this episode quite a lot, um, they address, like, based off of their own studies, they kind of talk about what makes a black character more worthy of living, and sometimes, like, that does have to do with tropes, but sometimes... It just depends on what they offer to the narrative and to the white protagonist, if they save the white protagonist or if they're funny enough or like, you know, whatever the case is. So I thought that was, that was a really good line that was kind of, um, multifaceted, I guess. And then King was saying, he was like trying to do a pep talk to somebody, maybe Shanika or maybe it was Allison. And he was like, they're out here hunting us like we're animals. And like, not going to lie, this actually kind of hurt to hear when you consider the past few years and how the black community experienced them, like starting from 2020 and moving forward, but also just before 2020. Like 2020 was the first time that, or not the first time, but was the first time in a long time that police brutality had been documented for the entire world to see, but that's not when it started that's just when you saw it with your own eyes so like especially in places like florida the government seems to have a target on black and brown communities slash livelihoods (laughs) that can that can go from the laws that they pass the infrastructure um everything and just like how they what they do to protect black and brown communities or what they do to not protect black and brown communities i also just couldn't help but to think of Ahmaud Arbery too um, because like that video played in my mind when I heard that quite frankly Um, and like you see in the movie you see the confederate flag in the basement and the animal game on the walls which is also representative of the hunting culture of southern racists Um, (laughs) nothing more nothing less to say on that I liked that my desire to find the killer, especially after, well, before seeing the Confederate flag, um, I liked that my desire to know the, the killer was not for my usual reasons, just out of c- pure curiosity, but because the racial aspect holds weight in a movie like this. If the killer was white, the motive would be obvious, but if the killer was black, the motive would catch everyone off guard. I will say I had a hunch that Clifton was the killer just because he was the first to go and he seemed to be an outcast. I personally thought that his motive would be just off of hatred for the way that they treat treated him, which kind of was that. Sometimes when I think of how, like, a movie will end or, like, who the killer will be, sometimes I do try to think of how they'll try to subvert our expectations Um, because especially like with scream, it's like, oh, well, this person's too obvious. So it has to be this person, stuff like that. It's always a fun little game to me, at least not for some people, some people may would like probably hate that, but that's just how my brain works. I also love that we have a new holiday, a new black holiday movie, a holiday movie in general, because, you know, I love holiday movies. They give me something to watch on that said holiday. And something to, you know, like, recommend to people on holidays. Uh, So, like, you know, every Juneteenth, the blackening will be on. I also like the way they depicted the little side-eye glance that we share in moments of discomfortability or just, like, in moments of, like, confusion or anything. Uh, That really is telepathic communication. It may not translate that way to non-Black viewers, but that's why I love the way they included Black humor and traits that were, it kind of felt like there was this, like, secret communication going on between Black audience members and the movie, which I was a big fan of. Um, I also, this is me personally, and uh, I'm always very apprehensive to talk about my experience, um as a biracial black woman as well because sometimes it can be dismissed and so it's like it's really hard to show that vulnerability I guess um in fear of being dismissed because because yeah I still very well um I there are privileges that I have you know that fully black people and you know especially like darker skinned black people don't have and I 100% recognize that um but like Allison I had never felt more seen by a character than when Allison went off in this movie so at like at this time in the movie they tried to vote her as the blackest because of her social activism and values um and she does not she is not there for it she goes off on how they always remind her of her whiteness anytime she brings up something They'll, they'll remind her of, like, you know, her her white dad or how she's mixed or whatever. And she's like, but the only time y'all want to acknowledge my blackness is when it benefits y'all. And, like, that's not at all how I feel. Like, that's not how I feel. But I think just the, like, the constant reminder, like, of, like, oh, but remember, you're also white when you do try to embrace your blackness um can sometimes feel dismissive and it makes makes it a little difficult but that's all i'll say on that ah i was a little vulnerable (laughs) y'all that was (laughs) anyways i'm moving on um and then my dislikes i don't have that many i only have two and they're not super big but i do feel like they use the best jokes in the movie for their promo So I didn't find the movie as funny as I'd hoped. It still had moments that catered to my humor specifically that weren't necessarily like written, which knowing that most of the dialogue was improvised, maybe it was just their own jokes that they were talking about. Um, But the other jokes that weren't included in the promo didn't feel new either. Some of them, not all of them, but like Dwayne was funny. Clifton was funny. Like Clifton might have been one of the funniest people in that movie And then Dwayne was also funny because, like, I don't know, he just, he was so relatable. And then my other little gripe that I have is that the gore wasn't good, in my opinion. And that's not saying that it needed more, because I don't think that it necessarily needed more. Especially because, from what I've found, like, don't get me wrong, there are black horror fans, but, like, also... There are a lot of black people who do not like horror because of the gore, because of the blood, and just because it's really, really scary. And so, as it's like, I don't think that there was more gore needed, but the the gore that they did have, particularly like the blood, it looked digital or fake. It was weird. Like, sometimes it would look more real than other times. And maybe it was just like the screen I was watching it on. I don't know. But I'm, you know, like, I always say I'm not one of those people that feel like every horror movie needs gore, needs blood. Like, I don't necessarily feel that way. But if you're gonna have it, you better do a good job at it. And that's that's all I've got to say. (laughs) That concludes my review of The Blackening. I did write kind of a lengthy one, like a... A medium-sized review on Letterboxd for this movie. So, if you want to check that out, make sure you do at Avery C-O-F. If you have seen this movie, let me know what you think. If you have plans of seeing this movie and you listened all the way through and now it's spoiled, thanks for your support. But, yeah, definitely go watch the movie. I hope you still enjoy it despite knowing what happens. But, like I said earlier in this episode, next week... I will be wrapping up my Pride Month series with Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. I'm so excited for it, and so I hope you all are too and you tune in. Yeah, make sure you check out the Q&A and poll portion of this podcast episode. If you're listening on Spotify, it's below the episode. If you're not listening on Spotify, I'm sorry that you don't have that cool feature, but you can always talk to me on Instagram, TikTok, or twitter at your horror podcast because this is your horror podcast the podcast you come to for all your horror needs thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode and i hope to catch you next time bye your phd in black cinema sister soldier listen i read my entertainment weekly okay i know my shit